welcome to the Messy Antics Podcast, a podcast about all things Messianic Judaism. Each episode, we will be sharing our opinions as we tackle some of the biggest issues in Messianic Judaism. Now, here's your hosts, Rabbis Eric, David, Jonathan, and Toby. Hey guys, thanks for joining us today as we dive into another uh, fun conversation. And actually, this is a very timely discussion for us because we're actually recording this episode on Wednesday, May 24th. And so tomorrow, uh, our time, you're hearing this the next day, but tomorrow, May 25th, uh, in the evening at sundown, we'll begin Shavuot, um, and uh, which is the... Uh, a, uh, biblically commanded moed or appointed time uh, that has a huge, huge significance um, for, especially for the body of Messiah. I mean, within Judaism as a whole, but especially for the body of Messiah. And so we're going to dive into that conversation some. You'll be hearing this on May 26th, which is a Friday, which is when we release our episodes. And so you'll be listening to this episode potentially during the day of Shavuot. So it's a really timely discussion. We're excited to dive into it. There's a lot that can be said about it. There's a lot we're going to kind of uh, deal with as we move our way through this. We do want to also say uh, Rabbi Eric is not with us today, so it is just uh, myself, Rabbi David, uh, Rabbi Toby, Rabbi Jonathan. I uh, hear this uh, this particular episode as Rabbi Eric is uh, is out, not feeling a hundred percent. He doesn't necessarily think he's he's sick, just not feeling a hundred percent, and so uh, we are going to. Uh, uh, have a conversation, less one of the voices, uh, but nonetheless, we are excited to dive into this uh, today as we talk about Shavuot. So uh, just to set kind of a simple foundation for those that may not be familiar with Shavuot or uh, the, the terminology of uh, Shavuot, Shavuot is a uh, moed, it's an appointed day, it's one of the commanded feasts of Adonai, it's also one of the Shalosh Regalim, which are the pilgrimage feasts in which uh, the, the men of Israel, but Israel as a whole, was supposed to go to the temple in Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. Um, it's also as a Shalosh Regalim in Deuteronomy 16, it's one of the feasts that were commanded to not appear before the Lord empty-handed, so there's a special offering uh, for the Shalosh Regalim that are to be brought before uh, the Lord as well. But Shavuot in particular is very uh, intriguing to me because of what the grander scheme of things really plays out. It's uh, known in the church world as Pentecost, which I actually think is this coming Sunday in the church world, if I remember correctly. I think it is. Um, So it's a few days late, but it's relatively close this year. Sometimes it's upwards of a month before or after the biblical observance of Shavuot. Um, But it's what's known in the church world as Pentecost, and the reason it has the name Pentecost is because in the Greek... Uh, that means 50 days, and it's a uh, count of 49 days from Pesach to Shavuot. On Shavuot, the 50th day, we celebrate uh, uh, the the actual feast of Shavuot. So the Christian observance, observance of Pentecost is actually a observance of what Judaism sees as Shavuot, or the biblically commanded 50th day after uh, Pesach, so or the, the Shabbat of Pesach. So with that said, we're going to dive into this conversation. I'm going to hand it off and let uh, uh, Rabbi Toby or rather Rabbi Jonathan dive right into this, and then we're going to uh, lay some foundation biblically and uh, run with the conversation from there. Yeah, so I kind of have a question, and that's, you know, we, so we don't have a temple today. Um, we don't have a place necessarily where, um, according to the Torah specifically, mm-hmm. you're supposed to bring 
tithes and offerings. And Shavuot being one of the pilgrimage feasts is a time where all of that is brought. Mm-hmm. So um, should we, and I already have my opinion on this, of course, should, but, which is we should, but you know, should we encourage our uh, congregations and those around us to bring something um, to the Lord and bring something to a to a, uh, I would even say a house of worship because yeah. if you're not around a messianic synagogue, yeah. you know there are there are churches who I'm sure are in need of you yeah. know an offering. Yeah, my my opinion uh, is yes. Uh, the, in fact, we go back to the Anshe Knesset Gedola, which are the men of the Great Assembly, um, and uh, what we see they were attempting to establish uh, during the um, uh, right around the time of returning to Jerusalem, rebuilding the temple, and then the the years following there as uh, Judaism kind of rebuilds itself with the temple back in Jerusalem. One of the things that the Anshe Knesset Gedola realized was we found ourselves in a situation where we didn't have a temple because we stopped being obedient to the word of God. Mm -hmm. So should we find ourselves in this situation again, how do we then define Jewish practice and religion? How do we live this out without the temple, without the priesthood? And so the opinion uh, that was the prominent opinion that became the way we do things in Judaism is that should the temple Temple no longer be standing should the priesthood no longer be active again at some point, which we know 70 common error. That's exactly what happened. Uh, do we just write off everything that the Torah says that has to do with the temple uh, and with temple practice? Or do we find a way to honor those commandments as best we can symbolically until the temple is reestablished? Uh, and, and obviously, we don't write off the word of God at, at all yeah. if we don't have to, right? So the, the premise is if the temple's not standing, we don't just ignore those commandments, but instead we find a way to honor them symbolically uh, until such time as it's as it's reestablishment and so in our congregation we do every pesach every shavuot every sukkot we read that passage from deuteronomy 16 we encourage everyone to bring a special offering above your tithes and and offerings this is a special offering specifically for the pilgrimage feast um and then uh uh we 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 talk about that briefly so yeah i think it's it's very important that we still are obedient to that even though it's not standing the temple's not there we're not bringing that in the same sense like our congregation your congregation teaches tithing but there's no temple yeah. and no priesthood yeah. um, it's because we still strive to honor those those commandments as best we can symbolically until such a time as it's actually established yeah. again and we understand that the tithe precedes the Torah yep. as given on Sinai correct so um, okay yeah good uh, yeah and this is a, no, this is a, this is a uh, another festival of uh, in gathering this is when they'd be bringing the sheafs yep. to the temple mm-hmm. uh, waving them um, before Hashem uh, on the day of, and it's also traditional at this time to bring. You know, we've just come out of the season of matzah. You know, by fifty, you know, or by uh, forty days, and uh, you, um, they would bring. You know, it was traditional for the priest to bring two fresh, you know, baked loaves of you yeah. know wheat bread, which is my favorite because I'm you know I love uh, bread. <laughs> So anything to do with uh, bread and baking and, uh, and and beer for that for that matter as well uh, is uh, so. I, so I are you suggesting that instead of waving bread offering, we could just wave <laughs> just beer offering? Beer offerings, <laughs> yeah. Basket of beer. I don't know how you would do that. Just a case, you know, a case of beer. Like, what would you? The case offering. I don't know if that that could be a thing. But anyway, yeah. So it's this is another. It's another again very agricultural um, uh, festival, and most of us aren't in agriculture uh, today. But you know, you can still, you know, you can you can you know bake a fresh challah, 
um, uh, for your family as you prepare to go in. Because you know, again, it's a it's a it's a Shabbat. You know, the the day of Shavuot. So you're gonna you know uh, begin the evening with you know um, uh, blessings or service. Like we'll we'll do a service here. I know y'all will do a service at yeah. Mankheim as well. Uh, many other people will be doing a service on the uh, Erev Shavuot, and uh, you know you can raise, lift up the challah, bless, yeah. uh, you know, say the blessings, say many other blessings, um, where, and enter into a time of, of rest. Um, and then, really, my favorite part of Shavuot, which isn't commanded, but it's a tr- it's a tradition that's been a part of Judaism for uh, I want to say hundreds of years, if not um, over a thousand years, um, maybe eighteen hundred since. Um, Trying to think when it would have started, post um, post temple maybe, possibly possibly during first century, as well. I'm not exactly sure, but the tradition of staying up all night yeah. to read and study the Torah. Yeah, um, what's called Tikkun Lel Shavuot. Yeah. Yep, and that's that's my favorite part yeah. of Shavuot is is the idea of staying up all night. And some congregations read from the Torah. Uh, explicitly, so they they spend all night. Like sometimes they divide it up into groups between people, and they read through the whole thing. Or people, some people gather together through kind of an organized study plan, and that you know they don't read every word verbatim, but they study yeah. through the different yeah. sections of the Torah. And so uh, that's kind of what we're more going to do this yeah. Shavuot is we're going to kind of break the Torah up by mm-hmm. parsha and read like a segment from each yeah. parsha and just study and read and discuss and argue and uh, and appreciate the, and the love. most jewish thing you can do is right. argue and um all through the night until either we just cannot go any further due to you know exhaustion or um you know the daylight breaks yeah. so so you you brought up the uh, the wave o- the the bread offering the wave yeah. offering um, and it's actually something we've never done at a CMC uh, and I don't know why I always really liked this uh, tradition that we had at the synagogue I was on staff with in Georgia where every year for Shavuot um, we would have everybody in the congregation bring uh, at least two loaves of bread and we we would require it to be sealed bread from the grocery store okay uh, but bring um, fresh you know bring fresh bread with them uh, and uh, we would have a symbolic ceremony waving the bread as an offering before oh, the be Lord. Fun. And then after Shavuot service, we had an evening service to do Tikkun Lel Shavuot all night, and then we have a morning service the next day. And after the morning service, whichever of us on staff had some semblance of being alive enough to do so, <laughs> we would take all of the packaged bread that had been brought as an offering, and we take it to the food pantry mm-hmm. and donate it to the food pantry as a, uh, a blessing. Um, and we'd usually bring 50 to 100 loaves of bread wow. that we'd donate. I mean, it was, it was a pretty cool thing. So I don't know why we've never done that at CMC, but it's maybe idea. something to throw out there next Kinda year. Like maybe, yeah, maybe next year we'll do that. Yeah. That's, that's a, I like that a lot, actually. Yeah. But it was vital, you know, they, they wouldn't, the, the food pantry wouldn't take it if it wasn't sealed sure. packages. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. I was about to say, like, you know, in a post COVID world, yeah. You know, even if you're all going to be sharing later, please bring free package bread. So, let's, uh, I, I want to, you mentioned the counting, uh, briefly mentioned the, you know, the, the 49 days of, of the Omer. Yeah. I want to, I want to have the conversation about the Omer in a, in a few minutes, but I actually want to kind of deal with the foundation of what, what is Shavuot? What are we, what are we observing? What are we celebrating? Yeah. What, what are we, okay, great. It's a commanded feast, but what are the, what's the purpose behind it? Like, why do we, why is it important for a messianic community? Why is it important for the body of Messiah? 
why did it become a thing in the church? Because the church still celebrates it for the same reason we do. They just don't realize it, they, mm-hmm. the, that that's what's happening uh, in the celebration of Pentecost. Uh, Maybe a few days or even weeks early or late. Um, but nonetheless, the, the, the intentionality of the why is the same. They just maybe not really realizing it. And so let's talk about the why. What is Shavuot? What is the purpose to it? And there's actually two... Uh, specific locations in the Bible where we see the primary events associated with Shavuot occur. The first is uh, Exodus 19 and 20 at Mount Sinai uh, with the the revelation of the presence of God before Israel on the mountain, followed by uh, on Shavuot. Uh, traditionally, we believe on Shavuot, the actual hearing of the Batchol or the, the divine voice of God speaking the Aseret Hadibrut, the 10 words or what are often called the 10 commandments in the body of Messiah, but the 10 words of Exodus 20, where the entire nation of Israel heard the voice of God. God uh, speaking these 10 words. And then as we read towards the end of Exodus 20, they get scared and say, okay, Moses, that's too much, yeah. dude. You go get it for you us. It. You, you hear the rest of it. Like, so a lot of believers will go, well, God only <clears throat> spoke these 10, so that was the only 10 that mattered. Well, no, no, God, the, the people of Israel are only willing to hear God speak those 10. Yeah. But they told Moses, I know God's got more. You go get the rest of it and bring it to us. Everything he says we will do. So there's there's still more that God wanted to say, but that was all that we were willing to hear. Now, the other event, biblically, that we uh, see occurred on Shavuot, and very specifically, the text says on Shavuot, uh, is the events of Acts chapter 2, the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh, or the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, if you follow the uh, the mindset that that happened in some random upper room apartment somewhere down the street in Jerusalem, um, go to Jerusalem and let me know when you find a apartment down the street somewhere that, that one people. could hold a crap ton of people, <laughs> and two that thousands of people could have witnessed what yeah. happened inside that apartment. I'm, try- I'm trying to remember what was the what was the count of the disciples? Just the disciples, like because it was more than just the twelve. Yeah, they, there was there was a lot. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, it, dude. There is you're you're doing good to find an yeah. apartment that can hold more yeah. than twelve or more. And, but the the reality is is where the the upper room thing it's a con, uh, conflation of the the event of Acts one and the event of Acts two getting blurred together. Yeah, because Acts one talks about them getting together in an upper room and da da da. But Acts two was an entirely separate thing. And again, as we said, it's a, a pilgrimage feast, right? Yeah. These were observant even after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Yeshua. These yeah. were still observant Jewish men. Yeah. Uh, and so they went to the temple in Jerusalem, which is why there were thousands upon thousands of people from uh, Jewish people and, and proselytes or converts to Judaism from every tribe and tongue in the known world that were there that witnessed the events of Acts chapter 2 occur is because it was a pilgrimage feast. It was a commanded uh, time to go to the temple before the Lord, yeah. uh, and they witnessed these events happen. And so yeah. Acts 2, and one of the things that really stands out to me, and I want to have, uh, I want to I kind of banter on this some, one of the things that stands out to me is the connective tissue between Exodus nineteen twenty and Acts 2 in there being three distinct things that were almost identical uh, uh, before the people of God. Um, in uh, Acts chapter, Exodus 19 and 20, we see the fire on the mountain. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, we see the what appeared like fire upon the heads tons of the of believers. Fl- tons of flame, yeah. uh, in, Acts, in Exodus 19 and 20, we hear the sound of a heavenly shofar blast. 
In Acts chapter 2, they hear the sound of a mighty rushing wind, which we live in a hurricane zone. Like yeah. we, we get hurricanes regularly, um, and, and when the wind is blowing, you know. it sounds like a horn, yeah. right? You know. So there's the, the <laughs> there's sound no, of the no mighty denying. rushing wind, the sound of the, the shofar blast kind of sound. And then the third thing is the divine voice of God at Sinai, and then the divine voice of God in the believers now filled with the Ruch HaKodesh in Acts 2, now filled with the yeah. Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues. I, I don't think they were speaking random noises. I don't think it was like all of a sudden they started speaking a click-clack language. I think yeah. they were speaking Hebrew or Aramaic, their native tongue, but God was unconfounding the hearing that he confounded yeah. at Babel. He was unconfounding the hearing, so all these men were hearing these guys from the Galilee speak Speaking in their language, but they, Peter and the others, were speaking. I think Hebrew and Aramaic, and it was just being heard and unconfused, and yeah. you know, in northern, yeah. Uh, um, and so we see those three distinct things: the divine voice of God in both stories, the uh, fire in both stories, the sound of a mighty Russian winter shofar blast in both stories, uh, setting up this this greater picture of of what God's doing prophetically yeah. at Sinai and Jerusalem in Acts chapter two. So I just wanted to kind of banter around on that some what are your thoughts what are you uh what do you see playing out in those uh those connections between them uh well this is rabbi toby um well the fact is is that in the torah um there are some out uh, of the moedim the, the the holidays the feasts god doesn't give a whole lot of description as to what to do i think this day and age you know when we have holidays culturally there's a lot of description like everybody knows what to do during christmas yeah and everybody knows what to do during even hanukkah you know there's and some of that's cultural it's not scriptural you know some of that's cultural and that's not necessarily a bad thing i'm just giving an example of when when we look at how we celebrate things today uh but in the bible god with shavuot god simply says to come to jerusalem and bring an offering and that's what he says. Um, compare that to Pesach or Passover, which is very uh, descriptive. Like there's, you know what to do. God laid that out very. He also did that with say Yom Kippur. You know, he says you got to deny yourself. I'm going to atone for the sins. He gives a purpose. But there's some that are like, and then Sukkot, you're going to build booths. You're going to stay in them for seven days. You're going to rejoice. Yeah, bring an offering every day of the week. Yeah, but there's some. Like Shavuot and say um, Yom Teruah, which is referred to as Rosh Hashanah, those are two that God just says bring an offering. So there is that sense of what are we supposed to do? A lot of the offerings, like you said, agricultural society. So a lot of that did have to do with thanking God for His provision. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know one thing that is interesting about Shavuot is that um, when God talks about celebrating it he says you know bring bring you know come to jerusalem um, bring bring your you know bring your offerings yeah you're not to appear before me empty-handed right but then he also makes a point to say you know don't harvest everything leave the corners for the poor and for the foreigner and for the orphan and the widow right so there's this sense of giving Mm -hmm. uh that's a common thread not just god telling us to give which um is important but he's so so he's telling israel you know bring to me but also make sure you you know you are open-handed with your uh, people in the community yeah but there's also this sense that god is giving yeah i mean you know so um 
I think there's this idea of God sometimes, especially with people who, you know, especially with the world. But I think even even believers get caught up in this view of God as this. Everything comes to me. Everything, everything's yeah. heavenward. You're going to praise me and worship me, and that's an easy, I think, way of thought to fall into because He is God. Yeah, and He, is, we do worship Him, and He is holy, and He is indescribable in His Majesty and and and, and everything. But there's this sense of God. There is this side of God too that is incredibly giving, mm-hmm. and and, and um, I, I think that with Shavuot and 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 in the Torah with this mention of you're going to bring things to me. And then there is a mention because every word in the Torah and in the scripture and all the scripture is there for a reason. So God is saying to make sure that you're providing for everyone else Mm -hmm. in the midst of this. And then, you know, and then of course we just talked about the giving of the Torah at Sinai, you know, um, which is what Shavuot celebrates. And then there's the giving of the Holy spirit. And I think that you can't, if you if you remove the new covenant like out of and you just look at it for what it is in the torah for me and it's easy for me to look at its fulfillment because i'm a believer in the messiah you know i'm a follower of yeshua so i see the fulfillment but there is this i i know i keep going back to this but there's this thread of giving mm-hmm. in shavuot we're supposed to be very loose-handed yeah during this time yeah, it's interesting. Um, we're supposed to give. I believe that that is. I think we're celebrating God's giving as the ultimate gift giver. His word, His presence, His voice, and the Torah also now finding its fulfillment in giving us Himself, His very Spirit, the very Spirit that hovers over the waters. In Genesis one, is the Spirit that resides within us, which is what Yeshua said. You know, you got to think. He's almost at the end of his life in John, um, and he tells his followers, he tells his disciples, because he's because he knows they are going to be lost without him. And these guys have been with him for three years, yeah. have walked around with him, camped with him, seen him work these miracles, and now he's leaving. Yeah, And this is terrifying. And he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send a helper. And it's very parallel to God saying in the Torah, giving the Torah as a helper. And I think it's important during Shavuot, I think it's a great opportunity to teach people the purpose, the very purpose of the Torah itself, you know, which again, you can't teach without, without understanding the Messiah because the whole purpose of the Torah was, it's clear. God knew when he gave this thing, they're not going to be able to do all this. I don't think that that was God being mean or spiteful. We're not going to be able to do all this. No. I mean, he tells us, I mean, that's the whole point of having the priest. I mean, like, we spent just a few weeks ago going through Leviticus where all of it's about, you know, when you mess up, and you will. <laughs> right. Well, the thing is, is how do you know if you're messing up? You have the Torah. That's how the Torah does help. But when now, and so I look at... Well, the, that's why you know, <clears throat> the Brechad says uh, that sin is the uh, um, breaking of... Torah, or the, right. the sin the is the is lawlessness. It's it's yeah. breaking the the Torah, the commandments. So it's like I don't think that when I look at the Torah, and I'm not, I don't want to, I'm not, I'm not trying to move away from the conversation. I'm saying I'm looking at the Torah itself because it's such a major part of Shavuot. I'm, I'm saying understanding the purpose of the Torah, which I think is the major separation between Judaism without Yeshua 
and Judaism with Yeshua and Judaism without Yeshua. The Torah is this, this massive chasm that, that we're trying that, 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 that followers of the Torah without Yeshua are trying to build this bridge across. Mm. And the, whereas with believers in Messiah, we understand the purpose of the Torah. The purpose of the sacrificial system was all to teach us that we can't do it. Right. So, but again, to go back to my original point, which was, it, it's this, the, the, the common thread when I look at Shavuot is it's about giving and that's tough because, you know, we're very, we can be very egocentric and very self-centered and, and we love to receive from God. We love to receive from God. Yeah. Like we love to receive from God. Or when you listen to a pastor or a rabbi give a message, we love to hear about forgiveness. We love to hear about God's care for us. I tell you what the tough message to get across is, hey, the reason why God fills you up, the first thing the disciples did when they got the helper, didn't they didn't go home and just worship and soak in God's presence. The first thing that happened moments after they got the spirit is that it went to 3,000 other Jews. You know, So there's this sense of, paying forward and overflowing into others into the community and the world. Right. So, yeah, that's kind of, you know, it, yeah. for, for me, it's about that. It's about God's giving. We're giving, you know? Yeah, it does. It is a big underlying theme and which is, you know, great because the Torah does teach us to give and to make sure that others are, provided for. I mean, and that's why we celebrate Shavuot. Shavuot is the giving of the Torah. It's the giving of the commandments. It's of God speaking into the, the ears and the hearts of, of His people, uh, any who would listen. Um, and, you know, that's the thing that Israel constantly struggles with through the rest of its history um, up until uh, right. uh, today. You know, you have this, um, you know, throughout the prophets, you know, they're like, you know, Amos is a, is probably one of my favorites. You know, where it's like he's, you know, he's criticizing all these people who are there because you know they're 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 celebrating their feasts and the the Torah observance. But then you have like he turns corner and there's a street blocked off, keeping the poor and the impoverished from participating in the celebrations and the festivities of um, one of the festivals that they're celebrating. And he's like, dude, dude no. Yeah. This is the Torah is about like all this wealth and is, is supposed like. Is supposed to be. You should like. There's no reason why these people should be destitute right. over here, l- literally looking you in the face as you as you party. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sure. So not again. Again, the Torah doesn't speak against wealth. It actually, you know, teaches. You know, if you have wealth, here's you know what you should do with it. You know, if you. Uh, you and it, and it specifically says if you have wealth, it's because you are being faithful to the yes. Lord. Yeah. But there's this view in traditional Judaism. And I've heard this several times, um, but there is this, and, and I, I, it, I'm lost on exactly where this is in the sages' teachings. But there's this picture of when God gave the Torah on Mount Sinai, He was holding a mountain and He was ready to throw it on the children of Israel. Have y'all heard that? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I have uh, not heard that. It's from the Talmud. Yeah. It's okay. So that, I, that when God was giving the the Torah, or particularly the that's what it broke, but the ten the the Torah to Israel, that He actually picked up Mount Sinai and it was hovering over the the nation of Israel, right? And that if they had rejected it, He was going to crush them. Uh, but because they accepted it right. and said everything you do, you say we will do, uh, He sets the mountain back down, and then they hear the rest. Oh, that'd of it. be an interesting like. It's conversation to read through. It's a, I can't imagine living day to day if I know that's God's attitude. If that's God's attitude towards his creation, that's that's absolutely. And that's why you have to, of course, yeah. read the sages with a grain of salt. But when I look at the fulfillment of Shavuot, 
which is what happened in Acts, yeah. which is that is not that's not what we're dealing with. He's not holding this mountain over us. Of course, he wants us to accept him, but that's not. But yeah. love isn't like when I proposed to my wife, I, I didn't hold a gun to her and get with a ring in. My sure, hand. sure, sure. I mean, there are, uh, you know, I mean, and I know we're kind of deviating from Shavuot, but like, I, I no, say, I think like, it's there are, you know, God's judgment does still come through and deservedly so. I mean, because is it Acts three, four, or one of the early chapters in Acts? I can't remember off the top of my head that. Uh, where Ananias and Sapphira basically mm-hmm. lie, but I think it is maybe close to one of the the holy days because it, uh, I believe it would be close to one of the redemption cycles where they're, you know, the property's coming back to them and they're selling it off or whatever, or they're, yeah. or they're beginning, uh, they've mm-hmm. just come out of a, you know, a jubilee year maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know for sure. I just know that the way they do, the way they do the land sale. It was Acts 5. Okay, yeah, X five. Um, the but, way they do the land sale is, you know, seems seems to be it may not be, but it seems to be associated with the way Israel did that because again, no one really owns land in Israel; it's all leased basically. Yeah. So that you know, you can only sell it off um, for years at a time. So and the, the, the fact that they got the full value, mm-hmm. it, I don't know. Maybe and David, you can jump in on that if you want if you have if you know anything about that but it seems to be that they've just come out of a cycle or close to the beginning of a new cycle where the land could be leased out or quote-unquote purchased by someone else for close to 50 years and and they get all the money on that and they lie about that amount and you know peter's like uh you've why have you lied to the you know to the holy spirit and and god you know, yeah. Oh, certainly. Yeah, so, and I, I agree with that. Yeah. But to get back to the Shavuot thing, I, the, I think the bridge between the Torah and the New Covenant, in in my mind, is Jeremiah thirty three. You know, God gave the Torah physically, uh, in in the Torah, and and then you have the prophets in Jeremiah thirty three, where God says, "I'm going to do a new thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to give them stone tablets. Yeah. It's not going to be external. It's going to be internal. Yeah. And that finds its fulfillment, in Messiah, because. And and I would have to do uh, we'd have to do a study on that. Maybe one of you knows, but in the Tanakh Old Testament, the Spirit of God is always referred to as being upon upon the Spirit fell on, and now we're getting yeah. I, I no, I've heard that before, but there's a lot of times where it's the same. Right, like the same words. But like, now it's happening. But but in the New Covenant, it's not. It, it's completely. It it's much. It, it's much more invasive, the the Holy Spirit. Well, the the difference is that in the Tanakh, the, as a matter of fact, if you look at Elijah and Elisha, you look at David, you look at Saul, you look at Solomon, yes, the way that it's worded, or at least the way that we translate it, is that the Spirit was uh, placed upon them or the Spirit overcame them, yeah. which right. is exactly the way that it's portrayed in Acts 2 and yeah. in Acts 10 and throughout the Brecha Nishab yeah. when the Spirit of God is just in Greek. On, on somebody. Yeah, it's that it's, it's, it overcomes them. Yeah. But the difference is that in the Tanakh, <clears throat> and, and I think this is what's so interesting to me and so intriguing about Shavuot, <clears throat> excuse me, is the difference is that in the Tanakh, the Ruach, the Spirit of God, was only placed on specific individuals yeah. at specific times yeah. for specific purposes. Yeah. Whereas in the Brecharashah, the exact same Ruach, the exact same Spirit of God, is now not on specific individuals, but it is available for the corporate experience. For and so, <coughs> excuse me, so when we see Yeshua, I just talked about this the other day. 
Yeshua says that when the comforter comes, when the Ruach comes, we'll be able to do even greater things than he did, right? Yeah. And I don't think what Yeshua was getting at is that somehow we'll be able to top raising bodies from the dead. Like, you know, it was a pretty <laughs> cool thing that Yeshua did when he said Lazarus come out of the grave, but yeah. we're going to be able to do something bigger than that, right? Yeah. I don't think that's what Yeshua was getting at, but what he was saying was I am one individual doing these miracles yeah, right, through the right. Ruach HaKodesh. Now, all of you will be able to do these yeah. things, and it yeah. will be this huge corporate experience. And there'll be, and we'll there'll be, be more of it, because yeah. his ministry only That's lasts saying, the multiplicity, years, yeah. You know, and, you, and, and, even, and even then, John is like... Yeah, the books of the world could right. Yeah, it's like and, I do, and I'm sorry. I just I don't want to say that the New Testament because I want to be careful how I word this because you don't want to say oh the New Testament is miles away from the Old Testament. It's yeah. not. It really isn't. But in the Tanakh, um, everything holy, everything holy had to be protected mm-hmm. in the Tanakh. Yeah. Don't touch. Don't touch. Separate the leper and this, that, don't touch. Yeah. And then here comes Yeshua and he touches the leper. And then the woman touches this garment who had the 12 year bleed. Yeah. And she gets healed, which means when Yeshua came on the scene, holiness went from something to protect to this offensive force. Yeah. And I think the same is for the spirit. Yeah. It became much more pervasive and much more contagious in a sense. Yeah. yeah. So, but with that, you have to also remember that. For instance, the leper. Yes, Yeshua touched a leper and healed him, but it wasn't that you weren't allowed to touch a leper. It was that if you touched a leper, you weren't allowed to go to the temple or the tabernacle for a certain period of time. Right. And you had to go through a specific process of cleansing. So yeah. it's the, the, it's important to understand that even though Yeshua did touch the leper, and even though the woman who had the issue with blood did touch his tzitziot, the mitzvot of the Torah in in dealing with those were not broken. Yeah. Right. It, it's that there were other steps of those mitzvot that now became a part of it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I was simply um, so, talking. Yeah, I was simply yeah, talking yeah. about the, the 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 this 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 the difference in the old and new as far as keeping things wholly protected. Oh no, no, I get that. Yeah. I get that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I'm not yeah. disagreeing with that. I, yeah. I'm just saying that there. The the thing that that strikes me as so intriguing about the events, the prophetic events of Shavuot, is in at Sinai, Israel receives the the Torah, right? Specifically, the Aseret Hadi broke the ten words, yeah. but Israel receives the Torah at Sinai, and it's something that's at a distance, even to the point you are making, uh, Rabbi Toby, is that God specifically commands several times in, in Exodus nineteen, do not let the people approach the mountain. Right. There's a perimeter around the mountain. They yeah. cannot touch the mountain. If they touch the mountain, they'll die. Yeah. But they can hear the voice of God from the mountain. And so Israel hears the voice of God from the mountain. And then immediately, what was their reaction? Their reaction was to go, we can't handle this. Right. right? If we hear his voice anymore, we will die. Why? Because we recognized our incapacity to be able to be consumed by the holiness of God. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know that they necessarily literally recognized it, but there was this the, a sense of this is overwhelming and I can't yeah. handle this, right? And so we, we tell Moses, okay, go get the rest of it. Well, in Acts 2, 
what happens? Spirit of God falls. And what's the very first thing that all of the witnesses that were there said? Maze, what is this? What We can't handle. This is crazy. We can't handle this, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we see that mirror there. Uh, but the, the distinct difference to me is, and, and this goes back to something you were talking about earlier as well, Rabbi Toby, is that the distinct difference to me is that in the Torah, uh, when the Torah was given at Sinai, it was given by the audible voice of God from a distance from the people. And it became something that, yes, the Though grace and mercy is absolutely built into the Torah, right? It's very much there. Grace and mercy is built into the Torah. But we ended up looking at it as like a tick mark checklist that we, okay, yeah. today I made sure I kept these commandments. So I'm going to check <laughs> yeah. off the ones that I was successful on. I did that not kill my neighbor today. Yeah. <laughs> but then when we go to the Brachadashah and the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh in Acts 2, it wasn't that we suddenly lost the need for relationship with the word of God. It was that yeah. now the word of God is a part of who we are, yeah. right? So I like to talk a lot about the the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew mm-hmm. 5, 6, 7. And one of the things that we see in the Sermon on the Mount is Yeshua says, and I think it's a precursor to what we see in Acts 2. Yeshua says, uh, it, you've heard it said it's a sin to commit murder, but I tell you, if you even hated somebody, you've already committed that sin. You've heard it's a sin to commit adultery, but I tell you, if you've even lusted after somebody, you've already committed that sin. Yeah. right? And, and the reality is adultery and murder, for all intents and purposes, are dealt with in the Aserat Hedibrot. Lust and hatred are dealt with in the Torah. Like those aren't None of those four things are new commandments. And he's not saying, look, as long as you don't hate somebody... You can murder all you want. It's okay. Just yeah. don't hate them, right? Yeah. And that's not what he's saying. Uh, what he is saying is for every in external sin, there's an internal sin or an internal temptation that predicates it. And he says, if you let me handle the internal, then the external can't sin, right? And so when we go to Acts 2 and the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh, what we see is the very same presence of God that we witnessed on Mount Sinai. That the the very same word of God that we heard at Mount Sinai, the very same word that was etched upon the tablets that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai, is now, as you said with Jeremiah thirty one, now with the Ruach oh, thirty one, sorry, uh, which is the which is the the uh, the Comforter that Yeshua said will come to 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 uh, give us power mm-hmm. when the Ruach Hakodesh, the Holy Spirit, is poured out upon the body of Messiah. All of a sudden now, everything that we witnessed on Mount Sinai, everything we heard at Mount Sinai, everything we saw on the tablets at Mount Sinai, now are etched upon the flesh of our heart, now resides within us. And so Yeshua was saying, you let me handle the inside and the outside can't be a problem. Now that's a reality. Now the Ruach is upon us. It's a part of who we are. And because of the presence of the Ruach, because of everything we saw on the mountain now residing within us, now we can rely on him to handle the inside so that the outside doesn't fail. And if the outside fails, that means that there's an area on the inside we haven't fully submitted to him. And now we need to go and reevaluate that and resubmit and and, and what have you. And And it's hard to get away from. Because I I can just, even from my experience, my experience with talking with other people, other people who are believers is that, you know, if it's just an outside checklist... It's easy to walk away from. Yeah. It's easy to say, I'm, nah, I'm dumb, not, I don't want to deal with that today. Yeah. But on the inside, like, you take one off step and you are just Correct. crushed. You're yeah. just like, I, I, I got to get back on the right path. I've got yeah. to, got to start walking right again because you just, you just, there's, you just do not want to be disappointing yeah. to God. Um, and something super intriguing too is if you look at what happens in, in Exodus 20. Where we're afraid of the voice of God and we don't want to hear it anymore. And we say, okay, Moses, we can't do this or we're going to die. You go get the rest of it. Bring it back to us. Everything he says we will do, right? 
We go to – and that's what happens. Moses goes and he's like, all right, yep. Yep. cool. I'll go do that. I'll go get it. I'll bring it back. And then we've spent the last you know, 4,000 years, give or take, wrestling with all of the – like everybody's like, okay, we agree on the 10 because we heard those. Everybody yeah. heard those. But all the rest of it, eh, maybe, maybe not, maybe, right? In Acts chapter 2, when we see the Spirit of God fall, we see the same heart of the people, right? Because all of those, the thousands upon thousands of people from every tribe and tongue that were there, that were witnessing this happen on this pilgrimage feast, they see it and immediately go, nope, this is too much, right? Maze, what is this? This is too much. I can't take this. I can't handle this. But the difference is the response of the disciples versus the response of Moses. Moses' response was to go, okay, I get it. Let me go deal with this. Yeah. The disciples' response was, okay, no, 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 yeah, you're confused, but let's not go down this road again. And they immediately start to share with those that were there what happened. They begin to preach. And what's the first thing? And Peter doesn't, like, he doesn't just start preaching, oh, I got this great word that I just got downloaded. I'm going to give it to you. No, no, the word that is now alive within him because the Ruach that inspired the Tanakh is present in his life. He begins to speak the prophets Mm -hmm. to the nation of Israel. He begins to proclaim the word of God. Not his word about God. He begins to proclaim the word of God to them. And it resonates because now they're not just going, okay, no, 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 I get it. You're going to die if you hear this anymore. So I'm going to go get the rest of it and I'll share it with you. No, no. Now they're going, wait, wait, no, we don't understand this, but we still want to hear more. Let us hear more. Yeah. And immediately 3,000 come to faith that day and are filled with the Ruach. And then at the end of Acts 2, it specifically says because of the way that these believers, these now disciples who are walking in the Spirit of God, who are empowered in the Spirit of God, who have the Word of God alive within them are living their lives, right? Because if you look at the end of Acts 2, like they didn't do anything special or different. They were just living their lives now empowered in the Spirit. Yeah. And people witnessed it and said that there were those coming to faith daily in droves because of it. Now, we look at the body of Messiah today, and I wish that were the case, right? I wish that that was what we see. I wish that people around us looked at us, saw the way that God's presence was active in our lives, and turned their hearts to him instantaneously like we see in the book of Acts. We don't see that, which I think is a far greater statement about how we live our lives as followers of Yeshua than it is about who Yeshua is in us. Yeah. Um, but but I think that that's what we need to return to. Like We need to get back to that. When we talk about revival, that's what we need revived in us yeah. is the power and pres- a, a, a submission to the power and presence of God. So powerful and so mighty that that's all that the world around us sees is his presence in our lives. And I think for me, at least, that's the most important aspect of Shavuot is, yes, the Torah was given at Sinai. Yes, the Ruach was poured out. But it was what happens afterwards. At Sinai, we rejected the voice of God. And in Acts, we, instead of rejecting it, we said, we need to know more about this. And then we were empowered in it because we came to faith in it. And I think a lot of the the problem that you highlighted, Rabbi David, has to do with, I think, the majority of the body believers – is the church is what we know is the mm-hmm. church and i'm not criticizing the church wholesale but there's this idea this impression that when the holy spirit falls there's just circus level chaos and people are like you say speaking what click clack or whatever and and i i i you know i'll never forget there's a pastor that I still listen to. He, he's no longer with us. Blessed memory. His name is David Wilkerson. And I remember he gave a message and he wept because he said, all I see now are people making the spirit of God look foolish. 
and he wept. And I'm not saying it wasn't chaos when the disciples first started talking and these people who were from other countries that spoke certain languages were hearing. Can you imagine Peter speaking one sermon and there everybody in their own language is hearing this yeah. in Greek and like you said, in Aramaic and all these things. They're all hearing it yeah, and in their language. Different dialects. So Peter wasn't speaking this crazy thing and I don't think they were there were people just going I just I don't think I'm not saying yeah. it wasn't chaos initially, but what I'm saying is what is the fruit of the spirit? I mean what is the fruit of when the spirit of God falls? Because here's my thing. Uh, when when you can go to probably a, a church on Sunday and just see people going nuts speaking in this sure. in these tongues and then they go to lunch. Yeah. And Peter the Spirit falls and thousands of people get saved. So you, you know, so I think that's the problem with, like you said, like what we're missing in the body of believers is because I think there's a, not a proper understanding of what, of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, to, and 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 a practical application of what happens when it falls. I'm not saying it's controllable. It is the Spirit of God. Yeah. yeah. But what I am saying is, you have to look at what happens yeah. when it when it when it's legit. Yeah, and I think you know it's. You know, you read these about these key events in history, which let's not let's not pretend that they weren't like key events in history. I mean, they were very, you know, we and I don't know, maybe this is a human thing, but you know, we want to see we want to see revival, absolutely. But uh, you know, people try to um, what's the word? Or replicate things exactly, and, and I think people, especially you know, religious leaders, can sometimes um do a little you know act a little muchly you know they they go out of their way to try to replicate too hard something that happened in the past like acts two and and so that you know that's yeah you get into these weird like shouting babbling matches with the congregation trying to get you know it's like we we want the holy spirit to fall so we're gonna have a revival at seven o'clock next wednesday because we can schedule that um you can't by the way uh (laughs) And uh, yeah, that's the point I was making. Yeah, and, and you know the the thing is like because that's the thing people show up to these things, and we've had them. We've had them in this country. We've had events and times and places where you know the holy the, the Holy Spirit. You know it it seems to fall on the people who are either in prayer or in worship, and it just continues going for days at a time. You know, I mean, the modern resurgence of Messianic Judaism is a product of one of those. Um, uh, one of those revivals, you know, in, in the the Jesus movement of the the sixties and seventies, you know, we had uh, here in Pensacola, we had the Brownsville revival, you know, several years ago. We still have leaders within the Messianic movement and a lot of the church body today in America who were who were redeemed and or at least visited and experienced, um, you know, that particular revival uh, recently we had the um what seemed to be a revival at asbury going on where people were just coming and worshiping and, and praying and, and you know and again if they leave those things and they go out and the fruit of the holy spirit remains some a part of them in their lives then i would say yeah absolutely that's mm-hmm. but that's what people don't want to do people people want the the flashy people want well, yeah. people want to come and hear strange tongues and babblings and and very and, and, and to see people want healings people want miracles but people don't really care if someone becomes less of an angry person yeah. and becomes right. patient that's what i was going to say or becomes trusting i was like i agree with what rabbi david always says if you want to see the results of the Holy Spirit falling. It's not craziness yeah. and chaos. Yeah. It's two things happening. It's 
believers repenting of sin mm-hmm. and it's non-believers asking the one question that they asked in Acts, yeah. what must I do yeah. to be saved? And even the message that Peter gives is very different than yeah. what you hear from most churches today. I and mean, in most churches today, if I go to an evangelical church or a Baptist church or a Reformed church, most of the time you're going to get some sort of invitation some kind of altar call or to come talk to a pastor or prayer leader at the end. And it's going to be about this, you know, like it's going to be um, about accepting Messiah, about, you know, do you want to accept Jesus uh, into your heart? Which, look, I'm not poo-pooing that because that's how I was saved when I was four. I was, yeah, I'm a, da- I'm a new dad, by the way, so like a lot of my words are like, you know, simple syllables. Simple syllables and, you know, easy to remember sound bites uh, for babies. Um, but you know, Pete, I mean, Peter's thing is not like you know, c- come up to the front, come up to the front on Solomon's colonnade and invite Jesus hey, in your heart. Every like, head bowed, every, every eye head closed. Bowed, you know, no one's looking around. No one's looking around. He doesn't say you're going to burn. Yeah, he doesn't. He's not. He's not. The, but he, yeah. he does say to repent, and he oh, does yeah. tell them that he's, he's like he's like repent of you and 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 believe. And he tells them the story. He tells them about the death, burial, and the resurrection. What yeah. Messiah came to do. And then he says, "Repent, all of you, and be immersed." And that's why you know I get a little flustered when my, my, my humanity shows up whenever people talk about, oh, baptism, no, it doesn't mean anything. It's just a sign. It's like, no, dude, that is like the gateway in. Like, you you have to, I mean, you, you and, and then people are like, what about the thief on the cross? It's like, well, when you're dying hanging on a wooden pole, then we'll have that conversation. But until then, if you are able-bodied and can get in water, <laughs> go, yeah. go get immersed. Get immersed. Yeah, so even that needs to, to, to change because a lot of people come down to the altar. A lot of people say, I accept Jesus into my heart. And they want Messiah. They read the sure. gospel, the, the Spirit of God. And that's the thing. The Spirit of God impresses upon people. And they want Yeshua. They want God. And then a lot of um, Americans specifically, a lot of American church doctrine brings them to a place where they say, believe this, but then they give it no power in their lives. They give it, you know, they don't bring them to a place of, you know, discipleship. They don't bring them into a place of, you know, it's just believing this repentance. That's not really necessary, you know, because they just kind of expect, and, and, and it's almost taught in a way that you just sort of magically begin yeah. to not sin. It's like, dude, no, like you, you have, there's a reason why you have to focus your attention to becomes God. Harder. And it's even worse than that today because, you know, for years that was the thing is, yeah, okay, magically your life's going to get better, yeah. right? But now the message more often than not is God will meet you where you are. And that's as far as this goes. Yeah. Right? That's but, it. We're but done. the story of the scriptures throughout from Genesis to Revelation is, yes, God will meet you where you are. That's He understands you screwed up and got yeah. there. He will meet you where you are, but he does not want you does not to leave stay you there. And, there. He, and Hebrews touches on this when mm-hmm. it says, you know, it is a fearful thing yeah. to fall into the hands of the living God, not just for judgment, but even in a state of mercy, even in a state of grace. Like, man, you are along for a wild ride, and your life will never be the same. It will mm-hmm. constantly be changing. I mean, I look back at my own life just some of the things that i was set free from you know some of the some of the you know different sins different addictions and like like Mm -hmm. and you know a lot of like god's spirit empowered me to do that but it's like there's a lot of times where those things didn't change until i purposed in my heart i love that verse where it talks about daniel and his friends where Mm -hmm. they purposed in their hearts to do something and until you purpose in your heart to do something you know because God is there. God's Holy Spirit is there. God's Holy Spirit is never going to take you and be like, 
you're supposed to be a redeemed human being, so I'm going to force you to do righteousness. Right. It's like, no, God invites you to participate in righteousness, and God gives you the strength to do it. Mm-hmm. But you've got to actually, you know, it's like going to the gym. You've got to pick up the barbell. No one else is going to do it for you. You can't just look at it and be like, I am now lifting 80 pounds. Like, no, you actually have to lie down on the bench, you know, and start pushing. So, mm-hmm. um, and then at that point, you know, that's when, if you have a moment of struggle, moment of weakness, that's when your spotter steps in. You know, I know, <laughs> how do we get like gym language? I don't know. Yeah, that's when the Holy Spirit steps in and helps you to yeah. lift that weight. Um, and you know, get you to a place of safety. Yeah. And then when you get when you sit up and get on the under, other end of whatever it is, you can kind of take a moment with God and be like, "Oh my goodness! Like I've, I will never have like I've st- I've gone I've stepped beyond this. Like you have brought me free from this yeah the, the shackles. And I think um, Judaism and tra- traditional Judaism teaches actually that once a man overcomes a temptation, he will never be tempted in that area again because he has you know overcome that mm-hmm. thing uh that inclination of the flesh yeah and, and i think that plays right into paul's hands with so much of what paul teaches it definitely plays into a lot of what the british has yeah. to say about the holy spirit present the holy spirit's presence in our lives yeah and i think that's the most important aspect of all of this when, when we observe shovel you know and, and, and here's the thing is um, now we we had wanted to touch on the Count of the Elmer and oh, man, you know, yeah. there's traditional <laughs> foods that are eaten uh, for Shavuot and so on. Um, we're gonna have to revisit that another time because we're we're running out of time for this this particular episode. But but as we begin to like wrap this up and, and close this episode out, um, I think the most important aspect of all of this is that the the blood atonement of Yeshua. Right, the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Yeshua, and the outpouring of the Ruach Hakodesh, was not given for the sake of forsaking the rest of the Word of God. Like there's, there's this mentality that in Acts two something new began. Right, that that God was done with Judaism, He was done with the Torah, He was done with all the Old Testament stuff, and then He started the church in Acts two, and something new began. But that's not at all the case. In fact, if you read through the Book of Acts, one of the most substantial things you'll notice, if you actually pay attention, is that all of the disciples, even after the death, burial, resurrection, and the outpouring of the Ruach Hakodesh, still went to the temple on a regular basis, still uh, uh, strive to to keep kosher, still kept the Moedim. Heck, Paul. Paul, of all people that everybody, Paul's grace over law all the time, Paul, of all people, took a Nazarite vow and paid for a Nazarite vow for other people specifically to prove that he wasn't teaching against the Torah. Um, and so the the reality is, is Acts 2 didn't start anything new. Acts 2 fulfilled what began at Sinai, hmm. which was the establishment of the covenant of God with his creation, starting with the Jewish people and going from them to the nations. Uh, it was a, a, a re an establishment of his covenant with his creation, with his people, for the distinct purpose of, as Exodus 19 says, making us a nation of Kohanim, holy people, which then First uh, Peter 2.9 reiterates that concept. Because of the blood atonement of Messiah and the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh, he has instituted us as a holy people, as a nation of Kohanim, as the king's holy people. That was the whole purpose. It was yeah. brought to the Jewish people first, for the Jewish people, as Isaiah says, to be a light to the nations. The nations are brought in to bring the Jewish people 
people back to the covenant God was establishing with them to bring to everyone. And it's a cyclical reality. And with the Ruach HaKodesh, with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we are now empowered to walk in the righteousness that we have now been redeemed in order to participate in. Not to forsake everything else, but we are empowered to walk in that righteousness. And when people see the empowerment of the Spirit of God in our lives in such a way, not that they see us performing signs and wonders, though that is a part of it, not that they see us performing signs and wonders because we're not a sideshow at the circus, right? But that they see the transformation of the presence of God in our lives. Then they will want what we have, right? And, And I think that's the key. Like the signs and wonders, the miracles, the gifts of the Spirit are all a part of the empowerment of the Spirit. But for God's purposes, not for ours. It's not to turn us into a circus sideshow. It's not to make things crazy and nutty and 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 people go holy rolling and pew jumping and you know dancing around screaming that they feel like their flesh is on fire or getting drunk in the spirit. Like it has nothing to do with that. It is about people seeing the transformation of the presence of God in his people and the people bought by the blood of the Lamb, yeah. renewed, restored. And walking in faithfulness with him. And then through that, people will see his hand active and and, and working through us. I think that's the beauty of Shavuot. I think that's the excitement of it. Every year as we approach Shavuot, there is an excitement that builds as we count the Omer. And we'll dive into that discussion in a later episode. But as we count the Omer, there is something that is so powerful about the expectation that builds or should be building as we go through and and work our way in. And CMC, we've been doing a... 21 days of prayer and fasting leading up to Shavuot. Um, and there is this anticipation, this expectation, this excitement that something is about to happen. Mm-hmm. And and we just are, I think that's the great thing about Shavuot. The same thing was true with Exodus 19 the same and 20. The same thing was true with Acts 2. Yeah. There was this expectation. In Acts 1, the Yeshua ascends and he specifically tells them, do not leave Jerusalem until the power from on high is yeah. upon you. There was this expectation. Wait. And so as we approach Shavuot tomorrow evening, uh, I, I want to encourage you, or now you're listening to this on Friday morning, I want to encourage you to to walk into the presence of God with expectation for what he wants to do and transformational work in your life for the world around you to see his power and presence so that, as the end of Acts 2 says, uh, that every day the Lord would be adding to the numbers of the body of Messiah those that are being saved because they are seeing the transformational work of God in our hearts and our lives. So with that said, we appreciate you uh, giving us a little bit of your time today and listening to this episode of the Messiantics podcast, and uh, we will chat with you next week. Thank you for listening to the Messiantics podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can be notified every time we drop a new episode. And be sure to follow and interact with us on social media at Messiantics Podcast.